Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. You are listening to podcast episode number 57 for the Awesomers.com podcast. And that's right, episode number 57. All you have to do is go to Awesomers.com slash 57 to find all the show notes and the fun little details and links and things like that that we may talk about throughout this episode. Now, today, Whitney Cole joins uh, the podcast, and she is talking about her company and her concept of creating a mission and she calls herself the mission maven which I find to be both clever and great marketing and accurate now as a by way of background Whitney is a consultant speaker and writer on a mission to help life-saving life-changing technology break through the noise and achieve mass user adoption her three-step process to amplifying the messages of health tech companies increases user engagement and drives customers to buy. She translates difficult technology concepts into simple, approachable, and readable content for your ideal customer. And I'm really excited to have Whitney join us today because she's gonna talk about all the important things that it takes to connect with that audience and to synthesize your message down into something that's usable. So I'm, I know that you're thrilled to be here because I'm thrilled to have you here. And we're going to get into this episode right now. Welcome back, Awesomers. It's me, Steve Simonson. I'm back again with another episode. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Whitney. Whitney, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm very well. So Whitney Cole has been working on a, a bunch of stuff. And as you guys heard from the, the bio, the read-in, you know, she's got a lot of experience. But Whitney, in your own words, can you just share kind of what you do day to day and where you live? Sure. Yeah. So I am, I focus heavily on content. Um, I work mostly with health tech startups, also like mission driven companies. So social good companies, anybody basically who's out to change the world, I work with them to figure out who their ideal customer is um, and then how to create content for that customer as well as how to distribute that content. So you're you're getting in front of your ideal customer um, so that you can break your message through the noise. Because a lot of times these companies that are focused on changing the world, they just, they don't have either the knowledge or the tools to be able to do that. So I come in and uh, help them come up with that strategy. Boy, uh, you know, the the book Good to Great talks about having a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) The world's got to be right up there among the top. Yeah, right. right? (laughs) It's like, uh, I could uh, could go take a nap or I could change the world. (laughs) I I, I can't wait to dive into uh, some of that and hear maybe some of your examples uh, because this concept of having the big idea is not foreign to an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the concept of actually breaking it down and doing something about it, or as as entrepreneurs might understand, getting leads or contacts or customers at the end of yes. the day is much more difficult than having the idea. Do you agree with that? I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I think I think where it breaks down is a lot of times, you know, you think you have your you think you have your market figured out. And often when I come and start working with an entrepreneur, they have done a lot of market research. So they they think they know who their customer is, but it turns out they know a lot of numbers, you know, like they know their age or they know where they live or they know how many years they've been educated for or whatever, but they don't know them as a person. So helping them like understand who they are as a person and what motivates them, what drives them. That's, that's where I come in to help them figure out how to communicate with that person. So you motivate them to adopt your technology or buy your product or whatever it is. I like it. So the, the, if my takeaway from that is the, the, 
precise avatar that you're going for, that, that precise target ideal customer may be different than the obvious demographics of, you know, 35-year-old to 45-year-old female living in urban areas. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. So you you have to start with the demographic information, you know, like any it's if you don't have that you're you're kind of just making things up as you go right <laughs> but so you have yeah, to start there yes. but what i often recommend I, my clients do is think of a real person who either inspired you to create your technology cuz especially in health tech there's often in the founding story somewhere there's often a reason that this person created their products like it could have been for a person that they actually knew um or a customer that you've already helped, even if you have a minimum viable product and you're doing beta testing, you know, there's someone that you have helped already. So thinking of an actual real life person that you've already helped or who you know needs your technology, um, that's that's way more powerful than having like a fictional customer or just a set of demographics that you know about your audience. Boy, that is definitely the most powerful thing is to, you know, have those actual use cases, ideally, if you have them, mm -hmm. or a precise, you know, let's label it. And, you know, this is Sally, and, and she's got this problem, and here's how our tool or solution is going to help her. Is that exactly. along the lines? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you give us an example of what a health tech type of company does uh, for those out there who may not be familiar? Yeah, so... Okay. And this is like, I just love this day and age because like, I feel like there's so many products changing the way we do healthcare, um, whether it's for consumers or for the healthcare provider. So health tech is kind of broad reaching or digital health, med tech, all of those terms can apply. Um, but it's pretty broad reaching. So it can be either product technology products that are geared for like doctors or healthcare providers, that sort of thing. Or I, and you'll see this a lot. There are products that are geared for consumers to manage their health from home. So like one of my customers had a wearable for heart patients. Um, another one had a product that, uh, people use from home, women use from home to manage their fertility. So, um, either, either direct to consumer or to the doctors or healthcare providers. So it's very broad reaching, but um, that's kind of the gist of it. Got it. And uh, boy, I think you said it really well, which is this day and age that we live in is the explosion, right? Of mm -hmm. wearables. It's the explosion of uh, easy access to technology where, you know, your mobile phone is telling you what your heart rate is or, you know, exactly. what your, uh, <laughs> sleeping patterns. This is uh, definitely the salad days of, uh, of technology and, and healthcare convergence. So I, I love this. Uh, we're going to dig into it and talk a lot about, you know, how you're able to help customers, how you're able to help them uh, get with the messaging. Uh, but we're going to do that uh, and talk about your origin story right after this break. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back again. Awesomers, Steve Samson. Uh, and we're talking with Whitney Cole, and she's going she's gonna to tell us a little bit later about how we break down uh, our audience and how we kind of communicate with them, maybe a little storytelling. I don't know. That might be a spoiler alert. I, I'm just speculating. <laughs> but uh, uh, Whitney, I like to start at the very beginning. Uh, tell me where you were born. Sure. So I was born in Denver, Colorado. Um, so kind of out west by the mountains. <laughs> yeah, mile high, right? Uh, yeah. That's a yeah. Uh, uh, definitely... A big football town. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you? Uh, do your parents are they entrepreneurial or what? What kind of work did they do? My father is a minister at a church. Um, so you know, like you kind of do have to be a little bit entre entrepreneurial. I can never say that word right. By the way, yeah, it sounded <laughs> you do, pretty good. <laughs> you do. Uh, you do have to have that that mindset a little bit. I think you know to because you're you're kind of for him. He's in a smaller you know type of church, and so he has to come up with ideas and, you know, lead his congregation and whatever. So my mom was a piano teacher. She had her own piano studio. So a little bit of entrepreneurialism is in there too. Yeah, both. I would say, uh, you know, yeah. if you got you to gotta drive leads, collect money and uh, yeah. keep going. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, any siblings in the, uh, the fold there? I, yeah, I have three sisters. So there are four girls. My dad always said he lived in a girl's dormitory. Uh, so oh, yeah. lucky him, right? Yeah, he's definitely being tested. <laughs> yeah. So um, now did they, are they in the entrepreneurial world like you or what, what types of things do they do? 
Yeah. So one sister is a stay at home mom. She's got two adorable little boys. Um, and then she, they also do foster care. So not, not so much entrepreneur, but she's, you know, she's changing the world in her own way with, um, caring for kids. Uh, another sister is, yeah, she does a lot of freelance writing. So she's kind of started her own business with that. Um, and then my youngest sister is a nurse. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot of uh, variety there. Yeah. Um, right? <laughs> how about, uh, did you go to university? I did. I went to a small uh, private school in okay. South Carolina. So. How did you like that experience? Was it something you enjoyed or hard for you? How'd you, how'd you go with it? I love school. So I enjoyed it um, at the time. And looking back, I think I either, I don't know that I would have, I was an English major. Um, I don't know that I would have changed my major, but I might've taken like more business classes or something, you know? So, cause I, we, I have a liberal arts degree, so I, I didn't have a lot of real world practical application. Um, but on the flip side, I, you know, I learned a lot about literature and just the way humans work. So I think that was helpful. Nice. Excellent. Um, and how about your first job? Uh, what, what I like to call a proper job. Uh, how, how would you uh, characterize your first one? Okay. So I start, my family was really big. My mom was a piano teacher, like I said, so we were big into music as kids. So my first job when I was in seventh grade, I started teaching violin and piano lessons actually. In so, seventh grade you were teaching. In seventh grade. Yeah. And they were young students. They were like five and six years old. Um, so yeah, that was my first job. I found out very quickly that I don't have the skills to be a teacher, <laughs> but I did that all through high school. So that was my first job. I also, um, you know, I had like a newspaper route. I don't know if that's a proper job, but I did have that as well. And then uh, after college, I worked through college doing just random stuff. But after college, I had a job as a content strategist. And that's kind of what got me started doing what I do today. Ah, content strategist, definitely uh, in the heart of e-commerce. Was that mm -hmm. uh, something in the, the local region? Did you stay in the Denver area? When I was a when I was one, actually, we moved to Illinois, where my mom's family was. So I I'm in the Midwest now. I'm in Wisconsin. So, um, but yeah. So, um, it was in a, it was in Northern Illinois that job, and it was for a just a firm that did a lot of like private security and that sort of thing. And I I did I remember at that job I did a lot of reading because. Um, there was a lot of downtime. And so I did a lot of reading like in my industry, um, in content specifically. And I, so I came from an English background. I knew I loved to write, um, but I didn't know how to monetize it, you know? So I started reading, um, HubSpot, you're probably familiar with their sure. blog, their marketing blog and all like a whole bunch of blogs like that. I just started reading all their stuff. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I love this. Um, and then I, along around that same time, I also started freelancing on the side, you know, to make a little extra income. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Like I could do this. I could do this long-term if I wanted without having to deal with, you know, employers and all of that good stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I hear you for sure. So um, how about uh, from, from that point uh, to where you are today, was there any defining moment that kind of set you on your path? Yeah. So when I, I had that job for a few years and I, was married at the time. And then a few years later I had uh, my, our first kid and I had some friends at that job who they, they were moms as well. And the employer just did not give them flexibility, you know, to go pick up their kid from daycare or do school drop off or whatever. And I, and also maternity leave was just was dismal. So I was like, well, screw that. I'm going to do my own thing. And I was like, I'm going to do this freelancing thing full time. So that was the defining moment was when I had my first kid. I just, I realized that I didn't want the to be stuck in a job that didn't let me have the family life I wanted, but I also still wanted to use the skills that I had been given. So, yeah, not wanting to be stuck is a pretty good uh, motivation to <laughs> right. become an entrepreneur and kind of take control, take the reins yourself. Uh, I definitely think women in particular have such an opportunity to be able yeah. to to balance more, right? I mean, you get to right. set your own schedule, presumably now. Exactly. Right. And I, you know, I do have set hours, um, but that can change depending on what I need for my family at the time. So, and there, I mean, there are more logistics to figure out, like you have to figure out childcare because as much as I would love to not have to pay for childcare, it's impossible to work and have <laughs> screaming children at the same time. So, <laughs> um, there are different logistics, but it's been amazing. And I, I love it. And it's totally changed my mindset too, like to just break free of that employee mindset and just, I don't know, be my own boss. I, I would not, I don't know that I'd be able to be a full-time employee at this point now after 
after working yeah, for myself. <laughs> even if I had the qualifications, which I don't, I definitely wouldn't be able to sit in the cube. That would not work. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, how about uh, any, any big lesson learned that you've learned along the way? So, you know, when I jumped in, I um, didn't really know what I was doing, but I think that is a good lesson in itself. Um, I think sometimes it's really easy to get stuck in the planning and never do. And even today, I find myself doing this. I'm like, oh, I had these great ideas and I plan them all out and then I don't do them. Um, so just, I, I don't think it's good to be ignorant. Like I think you need knowledge, but don't get stuck in the knowledge gathering stage. Just jump in and do it as much as possible. Well, action is a pretty good bit of advice there. Uh, sometimes it's better to take action and tweak it as you go than it is to uh, never take action. I'll give you a quick story. Exactly. One, one time uh, we were looking at buying this company and they were uh, they were a, a public company at the time and they had done pretty well, but it was during the dot-com crash and they were definitely on their last legs. So we were going to come in and do a reverse merger and so forth. And so we came in and we're like, all right, how much revenue do you have? And they're like, we don't have any revenue. And we're like, what do you have? <laughs> They had money, of course, because they'd raised money. And we're like, well, what are all these people? You got like 50 or 60 people running around. What are they doing? They're like, hey, we built this big book of how we do stuff. And we're like, but you don't do any of it. And they're like, yeah, but we got the book, right? And that, that ultimately did not lead to, didn't make the acquisition. Uh, they they died a, a miserable death. Uh, and, and they had spent millions of dollars making this book without right. actually ever doing anything. And so I, I'm a big fan of just you know, build the airplane while you fly it and, and iterate, right. get smart fast. I'm not a, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to exclude sloppiness uh, or excuse sloppiness, but uh, what, how ironic that I mess up that. <laughs> so t tell me this uh, along your path, Whitney, did you ever have a time, you know, where you said, you know, I, maybe I should just go back to the, the old nine to five gig. This is too much for me. Uh, did you ever want to give up? It, you know, I think that happens about once a month because <laughs> it's it's always hard, right? You know, you're going to always have hard times and just chugging through them and getting through them anyway and knowing that there's a hard time today, but there may be a better time around the corner. And just like, even when it's hard taking that daily consistent action, I think I think back when I was a kid and taking music lessons, that that taught me a powerful lesson in and of itself. Like you don't get better at playing the violin by just looking at your violin. You get better at playing by at the violin by practicing every single day. So that's kind of similar to how entrepreneurs entrepreneur I still can't say that word entrepreneurs have to think, right? Like uh you have to you just have to take that daily consistent action. You just have to practice every single day. And someday you'll be the virtuoso playing on Carnegie Hall. <laughs> oh, very good. I, I like that metaphor because, you know, too often we get, we're impatient. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think particularly entrepreneurs today and and perhaps uh, the hashtag millennials out there, it seems like <laughs> you could be in that group, but yeah. they, they're impatient, right? They, they, they're they like, hey, I, I've heard of, I've seen it on TV. And by the way, the guys on Facebook, they're traveling, they're living the dream. Right. I want that and I want it right now. Exactly. But, gosh, that, you know, it takes time. And what they see on the, whether it's television or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, is the result of so much effort and so mm -hmm. much work and that daily practice and trying to get better. That's, they don't see that. They right, only see the right. result. And so I, I like to remind people of any, uh, you know, uh, background, it takes time, it takes energy. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's very, uh, very good takeaway. Uh, how about, uh, was there a best day in your professional life uh, that, that you can call out and maybe remember sharing with the audience? You know, it's been more recently because I used to struggle practicing what I preached. You know, I always told my clients, like, you need to do content because content is how you reach your ideal customer. And I didn't practice what I preached myself. So it like when I don't know if it's the best day, but like a best time period where I actually see it working for myself because I started doing it for myself and creating content and seeing it just generate leads has been really amazing. Like there, you know, like I used to have to hustle, hustle, hustle to find new people to work for and work with. And then once I started creating my content, they just like start coming to me, which is pretty cool. That's the way it's supposed to work. Right. <laughs> well, I love that. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect proof case. So that's, right. you know, when you start seeing what you do pay off, it, it is all, it feels almost magical to me. I mm -hmm. mean, there's electricity when you're like, ah, I knew it would work, but it's working. You know, right. it, it's, uh, it's always gratifying to see. So that's uh, that's a definitely a good one. How about a tool maybe that you use in your day-to-day -day 
uh, whether it's an app or a mobile app or uh, just some some tool that you use to help you kind of get by each day to day. What's yeah. Your so CoSchedule, uh, it's a content marketing calendar. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's actually really awesome because not only can you put all your content in there to plan out, you know, I need to publish this blog post here. I need to have this article here, this video here. You can also, they have a feature called Requeue, um, which means you can put content in there, like evergreen content, content that's relevant for the long haul. You can put that content in there and it will post it again on social media for you like every every year or so. So you're once you have that built out, then it helps you at least have some content going out. And you you still need to be engaged and be personal on the platform, your platforms, and be posting as a human as well, not just a you know a reposting app. But it's pretty cool to just have it working for you too. And that was called CoSchedule. CoSchedule, yeah, yeah. Is it CoSchedule.com? Uh, yes, yeah. it's. Co like C O S C H. I can't spell, but E D U L E. I think. All right, hello, English major. If any <laughs> yeah, of the two of us are going to spell it, yeah. so we'll uh, we'll assume that the show notes people can yeah we'll get spell it right. schedule and uh, we'll we'll try to get the link into the show notes as well. So uh, now that we've uh, kind of laid a little background, I and, and I'm appreciating you sharing some of the origin story. We're going to dive a little bit more into how you got into doing exactly what you're doing today. Uh, and, and maybe even a, a prediction or two for the future. So we're going to do that right after this break. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals. This is Parsimony ERP, and we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and charges. Store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the SKU level. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. Handle multiple currencies. Facilitate budgets and forecasts. Store all customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Project and task management. Maintain an audit log. Hey, you get it. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com, parsimony.com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Steve Simonson. We're back again on Awesomers.com podcast. And uh, today, Whitney Cole is uh, giving us, sharing a little bit of her background and some some pretty great takeaways, uh, you know, things like taking action. Hey, who would have thunk it? Uh, this is a good idea. And actually being able to practice what you preach. By the way, not always, uh, not always obvious, as they say. The uh, cobbler's uh, kids are the last one to get shoes, so uh, sometimes we got to tend to our own house. So, Whitney, tell us about where in your journey did you start getting into this health tech space and and so on. Yeah. So when I started, I worked with anybody who would pay me, right? Because that's kind of where we all have to start. We just need to make money. Um, But when I sat down and really thought about why I do what I do and the clients that I resonate with the most, it's always the ones who are in health tech of some sort. You know, it could be a fertility app. It could be, like I mentioned before, a, a heart wearable, but anybody who is working in the health space. And I, you know, like I, uh, I, I did, it didn't click for me and it really should have a long time ago, but I was born with congenital um, aortic stenosis, which means, you know, a lot of kids are born with that. Not a lot, but it's a pretty common heart condition. If you're going to have a heart condition, that's going to be one of the more common ones. Um, And some, some people don't need it corrected until they're older or they don't need it corrected at all, but mine was pretty severe. So I had to have uh, emergency open heart surgery when I was three days old because it was like they discovered it right before I left the hospital and they're like, oh, you have a heart, your kid has a heart condition and, and so she needs surgery. So um, like the fact that I'm here today is because of really awesome doctors and then technology that allowed them to diagnose my problem. So like making that connection between um, technology saved my life and really brilliant, innovative people saved my life to wow, I'm helping these people with innovative technology save other people's lives or, you know, make doctor's jobs easier or whatever. Um, once I made that connection, it was like, it was like everything clicked together and I don't, it was, it was really powerful. I, I think when people tell you to figure out your why that that's what they're telling. And I always thought, oh, my why is my kids or my why is so I can have a free lifestyle. But my why was actually a lot deeper than that. And once I figured that out, it was like, and started telling my story, it really resonated with people. And people were like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And we totally get why you do what you do. Yeah, boy, oh, boy. So uh, what a great brand, right? You call yourself the Mission Maven, and it's because you have this mission, right? And, right, and right. wow, that mission began, little did you know at the time, but at yeah. three days old, you went in for heart surgery. Yes, yeah. Days. 
three days old. And then I had another one. I know. And that's what my mom said. She, she said she looked at the surgeon's hands. Obviously I don't remember this at all, but she said she looked at the surgeon's hands and she was like, they were huge. And they told, they told them that my heart was the size of a quarter at the time. And so they, she's like, how, how do those hands operate on that tiny little heart? But they did and I'm here today. So (laughs) yeah. And you were just about to say you, it sounds like you went in again. Yeah. So with this type of condition, when you have a valve problem, the fixes that they, there's not really a great cure at this point. Um, so the fixes that they do have to be redone down the road. So when I was 15, I had a repair on my valve. And then when I was 16, we went back to the doctor and he's like, um, that repair didn't work. So we need to do another surgery. So that was a bad year. Wow. <laughs> Talk about like being in high school and all that teenage angst and whatever, but it was, it was a rough year. And I had two surgeries back to back. Um, and I've been fine since, but they do say I'll probably have to have another one down the road. So, well, as I, uh, as I think about that, first of all, it's extraordinarily compelling, but, uh, I, I would like them to work out a punch card system for you so you can, I know. You know, after the fourth one, you should get a couple free or something. Exactly. I know. I some know. Airline miles. I don't know. Just something. Know. That's amazing. Um, so obviously you became very deeply connected to this idea that, you know, technology and healthcare have high value to not just yourself, but the world that we live in. Right. Yeah. And when I was in high school, so back when I was having those surgeries, I think a lot of people walk into hospitals, right? And they're like, ooh, this is where people are going to die. But I walked into the hospital, I'm like, this is where I have to go to live, you know? So I always thought hospitals were really cool. Um, and I I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a congenital, uh, congenital cardiologist someday and help other kids like me. And then I took high school biology and I was like, well, this isn't my thing. <laughs> um, so I went to college and I majored in English. And I, you know, I was always a little bit disappointed that I wasn't going to be a doctor because I was like, I I mean, I wish I could, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be a doctor and help people. I wish I could work at a hospital, you know, and then, but I just don't have the skill set for it. Like my sister's a nurse, like I said, and she's, she's got the personality and the skill set to be a nurse, but I don't. Um, So, but once I made the connection that I can use the gifts that I have to help people who are changing the world save lives. That was really cool for me because it was like, well, I can't be a doctor because I don't have those skills, but they don't have my skills. So I can use my skills to help them. I love it. Well, it really is a great uh, way to pair up two uh, levels of expertise. Uh, in fact, it's very fair to say that you know very few people would have the, the specialty skills of the, the healthcare profession, obviously mm-hmm. with, with the exception of those uh, who studied it. But it's it's... I can't imagine, I know some doctors and some of my friends are surgeons and so on. I can't imagine them being awesome at uh, content creation and, and <laughs> awesome at technology uh, kind of harnessing, you know, whatever they have to do to get their job done, they're probably very, very good at that. But right, the rest right. of it, I, I imagine they're, it's probably like a foreign language to them. Yeah. And so I work with a lot of, um, you know, they may not be practicing medicine, but they have some sort of degree in medicine or biology or something. Um, and what I, what I, so some of them are actual MDs and some of them are people who are engineers or something in, in the life sciences. Um, and what I find is they are incredible. I mean, obviously they're incredibly smart, right? They've, they've like, they have all these degrees and they've built, they've normally built an awesome product. Um, but they don't, have the tools to make that simple for people. And so if they create content for themselves or if they create content without getting a strategy behind it, they create content that's written at like a, like a 12th grade or college reading level. And that just doesn't, that's not readable by the average consumer. I mean, maybe if you're in college, it's readable, but nobody wants to read that for fun when they're perusing the internet. (laughs) Oh, interesting. So, so tell me, so you're saying that they need to make that message easier to read. Exactly. Yeah. So, so they are, yeah, they're, it's almost like they speak in a different language. They speak in medical techies or something like that. Um, And so people just don't understand that. So what I do is I come in and I help them figure out, first of all, who their customer is, but then how to translate their message into something that's really easily consumable by people who need to hear it the most. So can you give us an example, frame up a, a typical problem. You, you've alluded to this idea that they are not communicating in a straightforward way, a, a layman's way, right? You yeah. Know, when we want to read it, we need to understand it. And if, if the doctors are throwing out all the uh, you know, warp 
factor seven and, and all those other techie <laughs> right. terms. Uh, I know I went Star Trek there, but uh, that's the best I can do. Uh, <laughs> right. Then we're, we're not going to engage with the content, presumably. So, exactly. so how, yeah. how do you see that and how do you solve that? Okay, so perfect example of that. I had a client, I mentioned her before, who is infertility tech. And she had this really awesome product. And it was um, it was helping women here in the US and the developed world, but also women in the developing world take control of their reproductive health. Um, and just, you know, like be in charge of their bodies so that they can give have the freedom to give back to their communities. So she had a really awesome product, but it just seemed like nobody was listening to her. Like she was struggling getting traction and they were, she and her team were working really hard. They were doing a lot of PR. They were doing just like a lot of ads um, to get traction for their product. And it just, it, you know, they would get users. And then the second they stopped spending money on ads, those users would just drop off any user acquisition they had just plummeted. Um, and so they were really, really struggling. So I sat down with them and we looked at their content and it was actually their content that they were creating and the content that they wanted me to create for them was very focused on people who were just like them. So this client was very focused on changing the world. You know, um, she wanted to change the conversations around reproductive health, but that wasn't a conversation that her ideal customer was necessarily interested in hearing. So they weren't necessarily, so she had a paid for product and then she had free products she offered to people in the developing world. So the paid for product was more geared towards the U S um, and develop the developed world um, to kind of fund her endeavors in the developing, in the developing world. So, um, so, but they were just struggling to get traction for that. And because their content was focused on um, this is what we need to do to change the world. And this is how global health organizations can help. And so, you know, like not, not something that her customer would really want to read. So once we figured out exactly who her customer was and came up with the whole strategy behind how to create content that really reached this customer, her, uh, her sales for her paid product went up like 11%. And then engage, this was a really cool number. Engagement of users on a weekly basis for her product was up like 393%. So people were like just way more engaged with their product, whether they were new customers or existing customers from before or whatever. But it was, it was really cool to see like the difference in, you know, once she started creating content for the customer, how it affected like just her sales and her customer engagement. Well, and engagement is a number that, you know, doesn't necessarily immediately tie to sales or profit, but long-term, it is a branding right. move that you cannot be beat. Uh, people who exactly. are really part of the movement, so to speak, they are, you know, extraordinarily valuable and they want to help. They, you know, they want yeah. to be part of that movement. Don't exactly. You? Yeah. And that engagement number was across her paid and unpaid version of her product. So, you know, like those engaged customers could turn into even into paid customers, you know, so it was, it, yeah, it was just really cool. It was cool. Yeah, to that's see. a, that's a very fine example. So, so a, a typical problem sounds like that they're, they're not talking to their ideal avatar. So you get, they got to mm -hmm. find out who that is. And then right. you got to customize the content that speaks to that audience in a, uh, well, let's say a relatable way, right? right. You, you got to talk to them the way they want to be talked to. Uh, right. well, what other tips do you have in terms of, uh, you know, creating content or, or making this engagement happen? Yeah. So uh, when you're creating once, so the first step is always figuring out who that customer is. Cause if you don't know who that customer is, you can't create content for them. Um, and a lot of people do want to st skip that step. And then the second step is figuring out what that customer's core challenge is. So that's what I do with them. Once we figure out their customer, then we kind of figure out this um, overlapping core challenge. Um, that their customer faces. And normally they know this, they may not be able to communicate it in words that would speak to the customer, but they typically know kind of what the main problem is. Um, and then from there, we break it down into like kind of the sub challenges that make up that main challenge, you know? And so each of those sub challenges becomes a pillar, a pillar piece of content. And then you can create content, um, like subtopics under that content, like, it's, it's kind of, I call it self-multiplying because once you have those pillars, it, like the, the types of content you can come up with are almost endless. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. Of course, I, I have a deep amount of experience struggling to create content. And so <laughs> I, I'm highly related to this idea. So to me, if I could drive the point home and, and you correct me here if I'm wrong, but you know, a lot of people that in their own um, lenses when they look at themselves they're like well what's interesting about what I'm doing it, they 
they have a harder time um, coming up with subject matter or those pillars mm -hmm. to start with, right? They don't know mm -hmm. what are the pillars that are exciting. And something that they find to be, you know, just kind of, ah, yeah, that's just the way it is. It can be very exciting to their audience, but because we see it every day, we're kind of like, no, no, that tree's always there. It doesn't matter. Exactly. No, no, that's right. a really cool tree. Let's talk about it. So <laughs> once you have those pillars, then you said the um, the subsets of those, it it's, allows you to create content endlessly. Can you give us any examples? Do you have any memories? Yeah. Of so I can, I'll give you my own example because I said before I didn't practice what I preached. So once I started practicing that, my core problem that my customers face is that they just can't break through the noise. So there's so much noise online, they just can't get through. And it's kind of the outline that I just gave for um, reaching your customers with content is First of all, they don't know who their customer is. So that's one pillar. And then secondly, they um, don't create content for that customer. So they're creating content that nobody cares about. That's the second pillar. And then the third pillar is they don't know how to get, they don't know how to distribute their content to the right channel so that they get in front of their customer. So those are my three pillars. And then after that, I have like, how to create a customer avatar or, you know, how to figure out who your ideal customer is or um, what kinds of problems does your customer face and how to figure those out, that type of thing. So each one generates more content. And then the cool thing about once you have your list of topics under each pillar is that you can create like two or three types of content from each topic. So it might be a blog post, but then it could also be a customer story and it could also be an infographic or a video or something like that. So once you have the topic, then you can almost like endlessly generate content on that topic, not endlessly, but because there's only so many types of content you can produce and you can do it across several channels. So you can do the same topic on LinkedIn and you can do the same topic on Quora or Twitter, and then you do it on your blog and you do it on YouTube. And so really like it just opens tons of possibilities. Well, it definitely sounds like that, that, you know, kind of, it's like when you're trying to open the pickle jar, right? Once it gets loose, then uh, it's easy to get at the pickles, but uh, right. until you get that cap off, man, it's a, yeah. <laughs> it's a bear. So let me ask you this, uh, because I think uh, in this day and age where we have so many different social outlets and things like that, is there, I'm sure it varies by avatar, but is there any advice you would give somebody about where they should look first in terms of the distribution mechanisms? Yeah. So it really does depend on your avatar. Like if your avatar is on Facebook or sorry, if your avatar is not on Facebook, that should not be where you're focusing. I think a lot of people think, oh, I should just be on Facebook because that's where that's where everybody else is. But if if your avatar is not on Facebook, then don't be there. You know, like don't focus your energies on there. Don't focus your resources on there. Um, so go back to your customer avatar and figure what channels they're, they're on. Where did they consume their content? And then also think about like who influences them. So, um, you know, are they, maybe they're a millennial and they're influenced by pop stars or other entrepreneurs or something like that. So that will give you, um, insight into what channels to be on and then think about who their friends are like are their friends you know the same age as them what channels do they use um, are they on just uh, like are they just on Twitter are they just on Instagram like where are they and then from there that's where you distribute your content I think a lot of people ignore a couple really powerful channels too um, Quora is a big one and one that's really powerful in health tech because you can really become an expert on that channel and then I think LinkedIn sometimes gets a bad rap because people think, oh, it's just a professional network. But, you know, those professionals are people too. And there's a lot of really good conversations happening on LinkedIn. So distributing your content there is actually really good too. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good tip. You know, Quora is definitely a, a very high ranking on the search results. So if you mm -hmm. can get your, your expertise shared there, I think there's a, right. probably a high chance of it being uh, visible there. Right, right. So answering questions on Quora. Um, yeah, there's even an option to blog on Quora, which I always recommend having your own blog first. So you get, you know, you get all the SEO value from that. But then if you have the resources, I mean, start a blog, repurpose some of your content for Quora too, because then it's just giving you one more avenue to be on to get people to know who you are. How do we feel about Reddit in this uh, world that we live in? You know, I haven't used it a lot, but I think it's also underused. So I'm looking into, um, you know, figuring out the best ways to use it. I've been doing some reading on it. I think the verdict's still kind of out a little bit because I, you know, as with any platform, everybody's always changing their algorithms to make it more user-friendly and more focused on the customer and whatever. So you kind of have to keep up with that. Um, and I think Reddit made recent changes that makes it a little harder, but I think just engaging in conversation, whether it's Quora or Reddit or LinkedIn or Facebook or, you know, just engaging with conversation human to human is really powerful. 
So if you use Reddit, be a human. <laughs> if you use Quora, be human. Don't yeah, be a I brand. That's that's a very smart uh, bit of advice. I, I think Reddit is quite punitive. Uh, if they if they think you're just popping in to uh, sell them something, they will destroy you. Right. So, exactly. Uh, very lightly, and that's probably true of of any. Uh, platform, whether I think on Reddit, they'll just proactively let you know how much they hate yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Not to say that doesn't exist on other uh, <laughs> social networks, but boy, they are, they're pretty tough. I think uh, on other social networks, people are more used to seeing it, so they might not react as strongly against they it. They just but ignore it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. on Reddit, they're they just don't like it. So they, they don't put up with it. <laughs> yeah. That's uh yeah. Good time. So, so, so we've talked about kind of the, the, the general nature of the problem that people face and a couple of the solutions. Are there any other kind of key uh, solutions that you would uh, recommend to people that we haven't talked about so far? Those are the three main ones coming up with your customer avatar, um, coming up with the content. I call it a content tree. So you have the the, I guess it's the root of the tree, the core problem, and then you kind of branch out from there. Um, and then the the distribution path. So like, where do you need to put your content? And think, you know, think about underused places that nobody else is using. I, <laughs> I have some friends who started doing video on LinkedIn, I don't know, like a year ago. And they, like, because they were the first ones to start creating video on LinkedIn, they're now major influencers on LinkedIn. Um, so like figure out that platform, become the first one to do something on a platform. And then, you know, it's, it's much easier when you don't have as much competition. Well, that means I'm going to be go be the best guy on Google plus. Uh, <laughs> actually, yeah, that, that one's kind of done, right? <laughs> uh, no, I agree with you. I actually, um, also agree that LinkedIn is an underutilized asset and, and it's, I think it's just on the cusp of actually uh, a tipping point on LinkedIn. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, Three, four years ago, I never expected Facebook to be so business-centric or had the potential to be business-centric, where right. most of my relationships on Facebook are largely professional. I've got my friends and i got some family, but the majority, massive majority of the folks, whatever the thousand people I'm connected to, are professional in on some level. Mm -hmm. And that's afforded us the chance to interact with people on a, a pretty frequent basis. But I think LinkedIn is is now has more engaging types of content yes. and they they made their their streams of news and all that stuff a little bit easier and a little bit better and mm -hmm. despite the fact they were bought by Microsoft they seem to be innovating so kudos yeah. <laughs> and uh, Microsoft still uh, getting the job done so I, I if you are in a professional environment where uh, particularly you sell business to business I would take a th another look at LinkedIn as well. That's good. Yeah. Good yeah. By you. And I, I think their algorithm's a little bit simpler than maybe Facebook. Um, you know, like you see the posts of the people that you know and their second connections or whatever. So I, th I just think it's simpler and a little bit easier to hack. <laughs> yeah. That's the right word. <laughs> it is the right word. Honestly, all of these platforms, once we figure out what works, we kind of, we really lean into that technique and then, you know, the uh, algorithm gods decide that, oh, no, no, that's, uh, we don't want that to work anymore. So we, yeah. <laughs> um, Instagram actually just modified their algorithm so that it actually, instead of being time, so time focused that it's now more relationship focused mm -hmm. and that as much as 75, 80% of the posts that you were making on Instagram, even the people who follow you were not necessarily seeing because of time. Now, no matter when those posts were, they're still fresh in the mind of your follower, regardless of when that follower comes on. Do you find that to be uh, interesting or have you noticed that yet? Yeah. So I don't do a ton on Instagram. Most of my uh, clients prefer LinkedIn and Quora and that sort of thing. But um, I, I have done some and I, I did notice that change. So I do think that's interesting and I think it can be helpful too, as long as you're working to develop those relationships and keeping your audience engaged. Yeah, as always, it turns out uh, actual work and uh, real relationships, genuine things work. Yes. Um, all right, so I want you to uh, get out your crystal ball before we uh, share the, the uh, bonus that you have for the audience out there and, and tell us what you think is going to happen in five years. How will your industry look? How will, you know, whether it's a content creation or the health tech or med tech, whatever you called it, how, how is this going to change in the next five years? I think that in one sense, it's going to change, but in another sense, it's going to be the same as it always has been in that relationships, like we were just talking about, are the most important thing. So it doesn't matter what the next social media platform is or what the next new distribution channel is. It's all about developing those relationships and being human. I think a lot of times 
we fall into the trap of being a brand and being, you know, I'm, I'm Microsoft or I'm Google or whatever. And that's how you communicate with your customers. But the reality is that people don't buy from brands. They buy from people. So of course, yes, I go buy Starbucks. That's not a person I'm interacting with, but I buy Starbucks because I like the people who work there. I like my Starbucks. Um, you know, so people are buying from people. They're not buying necessarily from a brand. So even if you have a brand engage as you know, be as personable as possible, engage as much as you can as a person. Uh, I think that's really good advice. How, how do people scale that type of concept? You know, as, as you get bigger and bigger, maybe the founder can't do blog posts every day. Um, and so the, somebody's on the team uh, helping them, whether it's a, a person like yourself or somebody on the inside team, how do they maintain that kind of uh, relationship building idea? So I think it's all about communicating with your team that relationships are important. I think that sometimes where people struggle, they, you know, they bring in a new person and they don't explain the why behind their company. Like, why, why are we here? What are we doing? Um, and if you explain that you're here trying to help people and it's not about sale, I mean, it is about sales, but it's not about sales. It's about helping people. Um, I think that helps your team communicate better. And then also uh, one thing I find is if a if a company does not have the strategy that I help them put together, their their team communicates as a brand, or they kind of have multiple personality disorder and just communicate however they feel in the moment. So if you have a strategy behind how you always talk to people, how you should always be perceived, that helps your team create the type of content, whether they're creating it as a ghostwriter for the CEO or just as branded content. It helps it create the type of content that you want your brand to be creating. Yeah, so it is doable, and if you do suffer from that uh, multiple personality, we'll call it the, the Sybil effect of uh, content creation, <laughs> right. it's not going to be as good as uh, having that consistency of uh, being on brand and developing relationships. I, I do think that people speak differently. I think they act differently when they're about the long term versus mm -hmm. the hurry up and buy something from me so I can get on to the next person, right? Exactly, that's, yeah. Uh, you know, that's pretty obvious, and I think – if anything, technology has shown us those kind of naked efforts to separate us from our money versus actually adding value, right? And right. at the end right. of the day, if you add value, you have long-term sustainability. And if you're just there to take money away from somebody else, it's not going to work as well, yeah? Exactly, yeah. So Whitney, tell us about the little bonus you have for the awesomers out there. Sure. So creating and figuring out who your customer avatar is does not have to be hard. Um, I've put together a template that you can use to figure out. It's like a questionnaire to figure out who your ideal customer is, as well as um, helping you come up with that self-multiplying content I was talking about. So if you go to uh, the missionmaven.com slash awesomers, and that will be in the show notes, correct? Okay. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> If you go to that link, you will be able to get that resource. And yeah, hopefully it'll help you figure out who your customer is and how you can create content for them. All right. So for all those who were squinched up and seized up with this idea of identifying your avatar, we're giving you an easy way to do it. Uh, Whitney's taking you out of the fire and bringing you back down to earth and letting you know that, hey, you can find an avatar. Just follow this general template. And that's the first step. You know, I love it when people take action. I, and so I appreciate you giving them the chance to take action and, and really come away from this uh, episode with something. You know what? I can go do that. I'll go to the missionmaven.com slash awesomers right now. And mm -hmm. I'll download that thing and I'm going to engage that and get on with the, uh, the program. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Awesomers, if you're listening uh, and you haven't already, you know, paused us and gone over there to that website, you're making a mistake. Get on it now. <laughs> Take action. We got to do something. Any final words of wisdom, Whitney, for the uh, folks out there? I've said it uh, probably a thousand times in this uh, conversation, but just no exaggeration human. either. Yeah. yeah. Just be human, right? Like I just, I just think the value of a human connection is so important. So if you take nothing else away, just be human, talk with your customers and interact with them like a human. <laughs> I like that. You know, to be honest with you in this world of machine learning and artificial intelligence and all that, uh, everybody's, you know, worried about which robot's going to replace them. And <laughs> right. I, I guarantee you one thing, nobody's going to replace humans, right? And mm -hmm. and that human relationship, that interaction, and that that expectation that, you know, you actually want to deliver overwhelming value to somebody, that's right. something that is never going to be replaced and will never exactly. go out of style. So I, I exactly. love it. Thank, thank you very much, Whitney. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, 
kudos to you on uh, putting together the mission, Maven. It does sound like a very compelling uh, proposition and, and very compelling idea that we all need to take heart in, which is find our customer, talk to our customer in a, in a compelling way and get those customers to take action long-term, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for just having this conversation. This has been really good. Definitely my pleasure. Uh, awesomers, we'll be right back after this. Empower, the name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Hey, there's another great episode, and what a brilliant woman uh, Whitney is, and what a great concept to, to specialize and really dive into this, this idea of health tech, right? There's, there's fintech and e-commerce and all these different uh, categories of, of specialization, but she's really you know, taking her own experience at, with the life challenges, right? The, the heart problem and so forth she talked about, and she's trying to bring you know, her talents to the, the rest of the health community, maybe who's not as focused on the technological piece uh, of reaching customers. So that is to say, you can have that brilliant surgeon or um, medical device manufacturer or even uh, doctor, what have you, but they don't know about internet marketing. They don't know about how to reach the customers. And you, you really have to remember that this is an age old lesson. If you have a better mousetrap, great, but how will people know about it? And so Whitney talks about things like, you know, finding out who you're speaking to, uh, defining what your customer avatar is all about, and what will then resonate with that audience. I think it's highly instructive, and I hope people took special uh, care and interest in this particular episode so that you can learn how to uh, act on some of the great advice that Whitney was able to share. So again, this has been episode number 57. Uh, As always, show notes, details, and any links and things like that that we may have discussed will be found at awesomers.com slash 57. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at Awesomers.com. Thank you again. Awesomers.com.